ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is Season 3, Episode 17. My name is Russ Shaw, your host. ASI247.org is the website. I used to end every show with this statement. I'm going to kind of uh, springboard off of this, all right? Um, Life is 20% the stuff that's happened to you. 80% what you do about that 
That's an 80%. Hopefully that makes sense to you. The Matrix is a great movie. I love the, the analogy in that movie. And I love that famous line where uh, Morpheus, the character Morpheus, says to Neo, he says, uh, there's this feeling that you have. That there's something wrong with the world, right? There's something off in the world. There's something, you can't put your finger on it, but it's there, right? Like a splinter in your mind driving you mad. And he says, Morpheus says, it's that feeling that's brought you to me. For me, with all of my, my uncontrolled, unwanted behaviors, uh, I've had a few Morpheuses in my life. And uh, hopefully you'll, you'll find some Morpheuses going back to episode 15. Episode uh, 16 was awesome. Jay Spiegel and his story, man, I love that guy, man. Talk about a warrior. Talk about a guy who just wouldn't quit. Talk about a guy who continues to, to press in, grow in love. Episode 15, I really tried to touch on and slam home the importance of having other people in your life, having that behind-the-counter type of analogy. Those people that can come behind the counter in your heart and in your life and be a safe place and someone you can talk to and confide in and be vulnerable around. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to springboard off of this. This is part two of why so much relapse, uh, steps one, two, and three. Get right into it. Here we go. A huge part, a huge part of being right not having so much relapse is being in a group where people boldly face truth and test that truth through correspondence and coherence right like they're understanding what what they're corresponding like what they're talking about when it comes to their plan or strategy towards taking on their compulsion Experiential relevance, all right? This is some information I got from CCEF, Ed Welch and David Pallison and these guys. These guys are just brilliant when it comes to integrating psychology and theology. Very important. Because there is no truth, which a lot of psychology will say, right? A lot of psychology just lands on relativism. and Whatever works for you, buddy. Well, you know what? What works for me is killing me so and it's not working for me <laughs> I mean where do you go with with when there's no truth that's what I like about theology but what I hate about religion is when it shoulds and ought to's on you and you are forced into a dogmatic little box and if you can't obey this certain you know dogmatic commandment then you are somehow damned all right, that's just not true. The commandments are there so that we may love God and live our lives in love more, right? Faith is about love, being obedient to the commandments. The point is not that you would be a good boy and people would see the, the exterior of you and go, oh, wow, well, he's got it put together. No, that's not the reason that we would obey the commandments. Obedience to the commandments is that works are birthed out of love. What do you love and why? All right, again, 
It's corresponding with other folks on a heart level about what's true and making that coherent so that you can understand it and so that you can walk in a new way of life boldly walking out of a hope that shines out of you would be a loving kind person all right towards towards your family towards those in your community it's not about icy cold steps right like you can have a head full of knowledge it, it's not that immorality separates us from god what separates us from god I mean, you can be a very moral person and have an icy cold heart. Does that make sense? So it does. It's not morality. <laughs> it's it's something deeper, way deeper than that. So it's going to take getting educated a little bit about what it means to to walk in truth and light and love, right? So, truth be told, morality, whether good or bad, is birthed out of someone who does things believing that those things will bring them more life or love, right? Make them feel better about who they are, where they are, and, and why they are, okay? That's, that's what morality is birthed out of. So, again... What distances us from God or what separates us from God is not morality, is not being an immoral person because, again, you can have an icy cold heart and be a very moral, stick-into-the-rules-by-the-books kind of person. Um, in a group setting, you can be a, a seemingly, on the outside, someone who loves and cares about people as long as the people that you love and care about don't threaten your agenda, right? It's another thing about morality. A person who puts on a cloak of self-righteous kind of morality. If someone threatens your ability to believe that you're the man or the woman, right? Or make you believe that... that see, it's, it's... Again, it goes back to basic selfishness. If these people don't pump up my worth via my agenda or whatever, then who cares about them, right? That's, that's part of it. And, and listen, I've told people going into recovery, right? You're going to lead recovery groups. Don't expect the people, right, to make you feel better about yourself. Like, it's cool to see people change, and it's cool to see people grow, but most people aren't gonna, man. And the, the tough cases and some of the ones that you invest a lot of your heart in, people that you care about are going to fall and they're going to fail over and over again. And if you think that that's going to make you feel good, man, you, you're entering in to doing that kind of work for the wrong reason. All right? Your passion for doing it must be deeper than that. And again, going back to the first step, I have a problem. My life has become unmanageable. Social psychology for me was so fascinating because it helped explain energy, right? Like it goes more into emotion than just psychology because with psychology you start talking about logic and facts and you know there's some emotional stuff tied in there of course but it's more dealing with the individual. 
in social psychology, you start talking about, you know, how, how one person's energy can affect other people and how a crowd can be kind of like an individual, right? If you ever get a chance to Google uh, the psychological immune system, I, I talk a lot about that. I've been talking a lot about that recently. Uh, immune neglect, right? Like, it's not just something that happens in an individual, all right? Immune neglect is that thing that happens when you don't get around other people a lot, so you start to neglect your psychological immune system. Like, it takes effort for us to be around other people. It just does. Um, being shy can be just a social fear of, uh, you know, just, I just, I just feel more comfortable alone. And then we start to grow, right, socially awkward, and we don't know how to talk to people. Um, we don't fit in with the crowd very well. A lot of addict types are like that. I'm like that. I still am. I, I work to be involved in, in, in with people. You know, I'm pretty good with people on a surface level, but you start talking about, you know, heart stuff, and I'm, uh, I'd rather, I don't know, crawl under the table <laughs> when it comes to a, a crowd of people, right? Anyway, my point is that a group of people can be much like an individual, right? If we just stay in our clique, just listen to our handful of friends, then we start to grow into that mentality. And when it comes to addiction, when it comes to sexual addiction especially, you know, that crowd may have a certain worldview when it comes to the opposite sex or when it comes to sex that isn't real healthy for us. Does that make sense? It's like if you have a drinking problem and all your friends like to go to the bar every Friday, Tuesday, and Thursday, and Sunday, right? I mean, that's just not healthy and you need to maybe <laughs> widen your, your social uh, circle, so to speak. Does that make sense? A lot of times here in the United States, and especially coming down here to the Seattle Washington area and, and people just love not to offend other people right so we start to talk about you know oh just follow your heart just follow your heart and that's that's awesome right just just be you and, and just listen for that gut feeling and you follow that and you can't go wrong like that is horrible advice can I tell you something social psychology um, it, the Bible is gonna say that that's horrible advice all right, because we grow into patterns of thought and sometimes they're just not healthy. Proverbs 14:12 says that, you know, there's a there's a way that seems right to a man. Right? That intuition, that gut feeling, that oh, I need to follow my heart. It just it just feels right and we feel like we feel like we should solve that dissonance the way we always have and just follow that same feeling right? And it leads to death. I'll give you an example of, of cognitive dissonance, all right? Um, a cowboy in the Old West uh, loves his horse, right? He's rode this horse for 
couple of years and he's you know it's just like his partner and he goes on these long rides and all he's got to talk to for days sometimes is his horse really loves his horse so he rides into this town he hitches up his horse outside this tavern goes into the tavern he has a beer he comes out and his horse is missing it's like what the heck where's my horse right so he walks back into the bar and he says Man, my horse is stolen. Is there anybody that knows? Is there a horse thief around? Or somebody take my horse? Is there anybody that can help me? And then this guy at the end of the bar goes, I know exactly what happened to your horse. And the guy goes, great, you know, because I, I need to get my horse back. I love this horse, and I don't have a way of travel without my horse. So the guy um, walks up to the, to the man who's missing his horse, and he says, come outside the bar with me, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. So the man and the, and the guy at the bar, they walk outside the bar into the sunshine and uh, the end. All right, did you feel it? <laughs> right? You're like, what? That's not the end? You ever seen a movie like that? I hate movies like that. Like, just end, you know? It's like, you're going, what? You didn't solve it for me. Solve the dissonance. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, you're just it's like in a half a movie. What do you... What is this? You know, the credits roll, and you're like, oh, man, what the heck? It's one of these freaking independent films, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Rob Willer at uh, Berkeley University, who was talking about this, you know, cognitive dissonance, he had a great analogy, too, and he says that, he says that every romantic comedy has this plot line. <laughs> Most of them, all right? Most every romantic comedy you see is going to have this plot line. Boy meets girl. They have a whirlwind romance, right? They get all, oh, you know, the feelings and the romance, and then, and then something happens, right? Something happens, a misunderstanding, something like that. There's a, a pull with another character or something like that. So, so it, it gets messed up, and, and they, they, they break up, right? They, they're not meshed like they were. The, the, the romance is gone because of this, eh, right? This thing that happened. And then, through some huge climactic experience, the uh, the situation gets resolved, or the feelings for the couple come back together in some quirky, yet funny, yet uh, emotional uh, reconnection, you know, right? And then, the, and then the couple comes back together and at the end, roll credits. That's, that's almost every romantic comedy you will ever see. Boy meets girl, they get disconnected, they get reconnected, the end. <laughs> that's how it works, isn't it? It's a good example of cognitive dissonance. Um, big blockbuster films, big production films, they call them high concept. They're a high concept story. Why? Because they're easy to understand. It's easy to solve the dissonance, and, and those movies sell. And this is why I had such a hard time with step two. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. See, in my own story, I saw religion, right? I saw Christians as just religious people. I, I wanted a really quick romantic comedy way of solving their worldview, right? Like the reason you got cleaned up is because you believe this 
set of moral steps or rules and you are able to accomplish those and so now you're clean and I don't know how to relate to that I mean, that was me I remember sitting in Pastor Dan's office going I want to believe this I want to believe that this is true and this works and that this will fix my life because it, I, I, I'm a mess and I hate being here I hate being addicted I hate being my life being unmanageable But for you, this thing works, right? I know why it works for you, because in my head, boom, here I am solving the dissonance with my own limited view of things, right? You can be moral, you can be good, that's just not me. Today, I have people that have asked me that, like, why did you land on Christianity as your religion? And what they're doing is, again, they're solving that dissonance in their own mind with a very easy-to-understand pattern, like the romantic comedy, right? Like, that's how you got here to this place where you're not lighting your life on fire, right? Where you're not addicted to drugs, you're not having sex with people that aren't your wife, right? That's how you got to this place. That's how you got here, Russ, because you... You can attach yourself. You can varsity do this law. Are the rules in Christianity for you and your little denomination better than what I grew up with? Or are the rules in, in Buddhism better than the rules in Christianity? And if I can follow those rules, then maybe I can get to a place where my life is more manageable. But the truth is, it isn't about that. line indeed but what does that look like right um, my point here there's a lot of us underneath it all that if we're honest we we run on fear and a lot of our outward behavior our outward attitudes are because of an inward heart condition that says I've got to take care of me I gotta look out for number one. No one else is gonna take care of me. No one else is gonna look out for me. I gotta do it myself. I gotta take care of number one. So I build these attitudes in order to protect myself. And maybe it's got you by up till now. But this is a new season, man. Um, 
had a few listeners, one guy who spent a lot of money to go to a conference, which which I think is cool, but when you're putting it on a credit card, man, uh, you know, I mean, another guy who's who's looking to put down a bunch of cash on a treatment center for sexual addiction. And while those do have some success, right? I mean, it's like a rehab center for drugs and alcohol. It's I don't want to discourage you from doing those kinds of things, but I'm telling you that underneath it all, it, it sounds good to want to plop some money down, and that makes sense that it would it would fix it, right? But in our consumer-driven worldview, again, it's I'm going to pay this money so that I can get this thing fixed and I can live out my life, right? It's going back to looking out for number one. Because if we're honest, we don't trust God. And yes, it's good to get new information. It's good to learn things. But again, it's not the information that's going to set you free. It's the application of the information that you already know. And in order to apply that, we're going to need to trust. And we're going to need to walk out on what we think is the thin ice of faith. A ton of people in Christendom, right, out there in, in religious America, evangelical USA, love to brag about how they and their denomination and their tribe, how they know the path. But few are spiritually humble enough to talk about how they are actually walking it. And in and, and Christian, the reason I'm right, step two, the reason I understand God based on Christianity is because I'm not good enough and I can't prove myself. And every attempt to be holy on my own has failed miserably. It's like righteous indignation. You don't, it's not that I'm saying don't get angry, but be angry for what God's angry about, right? And a lot of times it's those selfish, me first, gotta look out for number one attitudes that come flowing out of me. See, understanding God for me, step two, was having to unlearn something that I had just, I had tied to my heart. And that was that righteous indignation, right? That God was through with me, that God was done with me, because I solved my relationships like that. And learning some of that toxic religion, right? Like God wants you to do good things and not bad things. And if you do good things, then God will love you. God already loves you. That's the point of, right, Jesus. That's the point of... God coming into our story, into his story, into his creation. The fact that there is suffering in the world. And him coming in to solve that, right? Like this is breaking the habit of righteous indignation. It's breaking the habit of how I kept running back to, this is how the world should be. And bad people get bad. And I'm bad, so I'm getting bad. And I just rested there. Like, that must be how God is with me, right? Um, Proverbs 19.3 says, The foolishness of a man twists his way. His heart frets against the Lord, right? Some translations say his heart rages against the Lord. Man, that's, that's where I was at. Because I constantly thought that I had to prove something to God, that I had to get him to love me. That's a false gospel. That's not true, 
Romans 5, 8. Again, understanding God. What is love? It had to get down to that, right? How does God demonstrate his love? Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's not room for righteous indignation in there. Does that make sense? The, the romantic comedy way of solving the dissonance of frustration in relationship was that. It was that, man. It was just righteous indignation. It was just, this is how relationships are supposed to, right? If you cross me, then I'm done with you. Then, then you owe me a debt. Jesus paid that debt right? It's receiving forgiveness. It's going back to step one. Your life is unmanageable. You've done something wrong. You've sinned against a holy, righteous God. Ask for forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. When it gets down to this, this step, man, is so important. And again, with step two, you can't force people to love God. You can't force people. I'm not, again, I'm not shoving the Jesus pill down your throat. But how do you solve this righteous indignation, right? There's studies on this today in, in modern psychology, how people with this kind of, right, this bias towards righteous indignation, it, it, how it's causing anxiety and depression because we're taught that we're the, we're the man, we're the woman, right? Like everyone should bow to us because of our self-confidence and self-esteem. And so when that doesn't happen, then we have, right, we, we create a little debt against them. And, and we're suffering in this country psychologically from righteous indignation, at least here in the States, right? Jesus says, um, and this is recorded in Luke, in Mark, in Matthew. Jesus says, be careful, right? Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, right? While you're talking about the good parts of you out here and, and exposing that to the world and shooting and ought toing on others, they should and ought to be like I am. It's that, that easy romantic comedy solving the dissonance with just I'm a good person. They're the bad people. That's, that's how I solved my relationship with God. I need to separate myself from that, that God because he doesn't like me. And people that don't like, right, it just, it just didn't make sense and it's not true. And it was eating me up inside because God loves me. God loves you. And he's after you. He's after you. He loves you. Understanding the stuff is so important. And my challenge for you is that to see where trusting and, and faith, right, got you. Like it got you here. Your faith in whatever sex, right, achievement, um, putting up a good facade, your faith in those things brought you to this place. Faith is going to break the habit, right? It's understanding faith. It's having faith in God. It's trusting God. It's, oh man, it's submission to God. In your own heart. That you don't, right? Your life has become unmanageable. You cannot break this habit on your own. It's going to take help from an outside spiritual force, right? Your father in heaven who loves you. Who demonstrates his love by not condemning you. 
there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, right? I mean, this is all over the Bible. You're a child and God is Father and He loves you. This is so important. Uh, this was a big, big deal, right? They're going back to the wisdom literature in, in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he th shall make your paths straight. Acknowledge Jesus, right? He's the most important historical figure of human history, all right? I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about being a good teacher. I'm talking about historical figure. Our calendar is based on his life, right? This is this God man, this man who came into human history to rescue you and I. Acknowledge him. I, I pray that you just help you understand who this God is and how it's not about you earning it, right? It's not about shoving morality in from the outside. It starts in your heart and it grows outward from there. Change the heart, change the mind, change the behavior over time. But bigger than changing your behavior is Jesus who loves you despite yourself, right? And when that sinks into the heart, this, this habit of righteous indignation starts to break down. Man, I still got it sometimes. I was just this morning apologizing to my wife for, for getting defensive again over a stupid bill issue, you know. But, I, I, you know, it, it, I'm not the guy I was. Anger is settling in me because of this heart change and because of understanding this. And not running back to the quick romantic comedy, right? Solving the dissonance of pressure and stress in my life with righteous indignation. God is love. God demonstrates his love by why we were a jacked up mess. He died for us. He came into human history. He, he rescued us. I love you guys. I'm going to leave the show right there, man. I, I pray that you maybe get some time with God, right? Get some time alone. Get some time to pray over this stuff. There's freedom for you, man. I love you guys. That's true. I'm not as stuck as I was. I don't struggle like I used to. I praise God for that. It ain't based on my willpower. next time. Bye. I am insensitive. I have a tendency to pay more attention to the things that I need. Sometimes I drink too much. Sometimes I test your trust. Sometimes I don't know why you stay with me. I'm hard to love, hard to love. Short fuse, I am a wrecking ball. 
Sunday morning Full of grace and full of Jesus And I wish that I could be more like